0: Well, we are in our last week in the book of Philippians, so take your Bibles, would you? We're going to conclude what I think is about a 24-week series in this book. The series was titled The Joy of Gospel Partnership. That really is the overarching theme and the running thread through all four chapters As we bring this series to a close today by looking at the final three verses, I don't want you to lose sight of what this letter to the Philippians actually is. In its most basic form, this four-chapter letter written in the first century to a church in Philippi is really a missionary update from Paul. And I like that description because we can get our hands around that. Many of you have received updates from missionaries in the field or those we call partners, you've received letters telling uh, you how things are, or you've received letters wanting additional support or how things are going to be. You've received these kind of updates. This is all Philippians is. It's Paul's letter to a church he planted about 10 years prior to writing it in Macedonia, the city of Philippi, and he loved them. In fact, I would submit to you and contend that this is probably his most beloved church. The language in Philippians is heightened language when it comes to love and relationships and partnership. And we've really seen how Paul is encouraging them to fight for the joy of each other as partners in the gospel, how he's fighting for their joy, how he expects them to fight for his joy. It's all about joy in the matter of partnering for the gospel. I tend to think this love between Paul and the Philippian church and their partnership and their deep desire for the joy in each other really shows up in these last three verses. So with your Bibles open to Philippians 4. Your journals open as well. And then by the way, if you don't have a Bible, just lift your hand. I know we have some new folks with us. We'd love to give you one. Ushers have them in the back. There's some on the table there. Just lift your hand, and they'll make sure you get one. Hold it up till you get one if you need a Bible. Our gift to you. We'd love for you to look at it with us because we believe here the Word does the work. And so we're going to look at the Word, and it always makes more sense, and you feel more part of things if you have one in front of you. So in these last three verses, here's what I think Paul does. I'll give you kind of an overview up front. I think Paul paints a verbal picture of what a partner is. It's it's almost like a relational, uh, personal sketch of the people he's been talking about and talking to for four chapters. He just kind of unfolds the canvas, if you would, in three simple closing verses. And often, if I can just be very transparent with you, pastors and churches and Christians tend to overlook the beginning of the epistles and the end of epistles. We think of them as salutations that are just like, hello, or we think of them as a conclusion, like goodbye. But often there is much meaning in these beginning and ending parts. And I think we're going to see that in these final three verses. So your eyes are there, your Bibles are open, Philippians chapter 4, verses 21 to 23. We'll go to our lab today, Lord willing, and we're going to look at these verses uh, together. You can mark yours up. I always encourage you to mark in your Bible. It's a great gift to your kids when you turn 90. Give them a marked-up Bible. I'm being really serious with you. Uh, A marked-up Bible is usually a good sign of a a marked-up life by God. So mark in your Bible, mark in your journal. Let's look at these verses, and let's see exactly what a partner is. Can we? Together, I'll read them with you. You follow along with me. The Bible says this. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And the church says, amen. This is how Paul closes his letter to his most beloved church. Let me show you a couple things I think that um, will lift the words off the page into your heart, and the Holy Spirit will use them to, to change our lives this morning. I think there are three words that stand out to me. I'm going to give them to you up front, and I'll show you where they come from in the text. In fact, i want to think about the word faces, the word places, and the word grace. Can you say those with me? Faces, places, and grace. Let me show you the first word. Paul really has in mind faces, as he tells this Philippian church in closing, to greet every saint. You see this? Now, he's sending his greeting to them. So he's saying, through this letter, know that my heart is greeting all of you. He talks about the brothers, and then he says all the saints. So really, 21 and part of 22 is really all about, I'm just going to write the word in here, faces. He's thinking of people that more than likely he knows, and perhaps some that he doesn't know, as the church probably grew and folks were saved and baptized in those 10 years between when he planted and when he wrote this letter. But he's thinking of those he knows. He's thinking of the faces of saints. He's thinking of the faces of the brothers who are with him that were instrumental in planting the church. He's thinking of all the saints in Rome who are also sending greetings. So as I read these First few phrases, I really see faces in three um, ways. Let me just see if I can point them to you from the text. I think it's pretty intriguing. First of all, there's individuals. Do you see this idea of every saint? So just write individual. Paul's thinking of every single saint there in that church, and he's saying, I want you to know I greet you. It's a warm hello it's a term of endearment. It's a way to say, I, I'm, I'm aware of you. You're known. I'm thinking of you. So this one's from Paul to those saints. The next one is from the brothers to those saints. You say, well, who are the brothers? I'm going to put the word team. And if you were to track this phrase, the brothers, which is usually the word brothers— with a definite article in front of it. It's different than when Paul just says brothers and sisters with no definite article. I tend to believe personally, this is an actual group of people who helped Paul with his travel, the logistics. Often they went in front of Paul or they stayed behind after Paul. You can actually track this phrase through acts in multiple locations where he says the brothers, the brothers. So I would call this in, our vernacular, his kind of advanced team. They were the folks behind the scenes. And Paul is saying, the team that works with me to make sure the gospel gets to places it's never been, they send you greetings. So he's got faces in mind. The Philippian church is receiving this. They've got faces in mind, faces of individuals, faces of, we'll call it a team. And watch this, faces of a church. Notice how he says, all the saints send you greetings. This is different than every saint. Now notice in the very first phrase, every saint is the saints. They're the saints in Philippi. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus, saying, we send our greetings to you there. Now he's saying, all the saints send you greetings. So he's speaking of the saints who are with him. Where is he? He's writing this letter from Rome, more than likely. This is also called a prison letter. He's probably in his last few years of imprisonment before martyrdom. This letter's probably written around 61 A.D. More than likely, Paul was martyred in about 64-ish. The church was planted around 51-ish. So he's saying, all the saints here in Rome, we're sending you greetings to. In other words, the church at Rome is in Paul's mind. The church in Philippi is in Paul's mind. They all have faces, individuals, teams, churches. This is what's in Paul's head and in Paul's heart as he closes the letter. It's very personal. It's relational. It's not anonymous. In fact, watch this. It's not aspirational. It's actual. It's facial. Paul sees their eyes in his head. And he sends them greetings as he closes. And he's really communicating his love to them. So just know this, that every single face in this auditorium who is a believer in Christ, you are either an individual saint, you're a saint on a team, or you're a saint in a church. But every single believing face in this room wears one of these faces. Now... Can I just pause for a moment and define the word saint? It's used twice here. He speaks of individual saints. He speaks of collective saints. He speaks of saints who are doing the work of the ministry. So he's referencing saints here. Maybe you're wondering, what is a saint? Now, our Catholic Um, the Catholic Church believes saints are only those who've either witnessed a miracle, they have some uh, filters, they have some requirements that you can't be a saint unless some things happen. You've been part of them. I'm not sure I know exactly what they are, but one of them is, you know, you've either been part of or witnessed to a miracle. Can I say to you, with all due respect, that's not anywhere in the Bible. It's just made up. It's humanly devised parameters for what a saint and the Bible describes a saint as one who is set apart. That's what the word means. If you took the word saint and looked at its etymology, which means its history and it's how it was derived to be used, you would understand that saint simply means this. It's one who is set apart or here's even a more um, technical definition, a holy one. That's what saint means. So how does one become a saint? What made these people here be referenced as saints? Paul calls them saints. It's when one believes in Jesus Christ, that his death and resurrection, and God saves them by his grace, then God, watch this, he sets them apart into his family. He makes them, he declares them holy. He calls them a saint every christian is a saint the folks you saw get baptized they're saints any christian who is uh is a saint if you have trusted christ guess what you don't have to wait to be dubbed a saint because you participated or saw a miracle or you did a certain amount of works god calls you a saint he calls you holy he sets you apart because of the grace of Christ and your belief in the gospel amen isn't it wonderful to to know that Paul here is envisioning faces of fellow saints as he closes the letter uh the letter and those saints were in churches they were individuals and they were on teams and so is the case for all of you who are saints notice the second word here well actually before I go to there let me just sh- share this with you you're going to get this when you leave today this is um an initial flyer, we'll call it, for what starts the next week, GO Week. It stands for Global Outreach, and every year we take either a week or maybe up to a month and just emphasize in a more direct manner our love for missions and those who participate in it as partners, whether we're sending partners or whether we're sent partners. And you're gonna see on this, flyer that you get when you leave as well as in the journal you get next week you're going to see lots of names of our partners i want you to know something i'll say this this will sound funny but it's not meant to be all of these names you read have faces they're real people they're partners of ours they're not aspirational they're actual they're visible they're tactile So as you get this, know that when you come next week, you're going to see some of these people. You're going to see the faces of people that we partner with in the work of the gospel. Keep this with you. I trust that you'll be thinking a lot about next week and then the eight days that follow as we give a lot of attention to our partners, to the faces of those that we work with in the spread of the gospel. Now notice, if you would, the second word places. You say, where do you draw this from, Todd? Well, it it kind of flows out of the last phrase, um, the last part of the first phrase. He says, all the saints send you greetings. And then he says, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Do You see that? I believe when he mentions the saints that send greetings and he describes it as all the saints, he's speaking of the church at Rome. So I would write faces in here. And notice what he does here. When he mentions the church at Rome by saying, we all send you greetings, he then narrows in, he drills down to this select group of Christians in Rome who belong to Caesar's household. I think this is very intriguing. It either means they were relatives of Caesar who had become a Christian Or they were workers, you could use the word employees or servants, in the government. Caesar's, uh, you know, um, rule as emperor. It's either one of those two, but regardless of which it is, I think it's remarkable that Paul here says the gospel has reached into those who work for or either belong to someone who thinks he's the Lord. So they're around someone who claims to be a God and yet they realize, no, you're not God. Jesus Christ is God and he's the one I worship. I'm not worshiping Caesar. I'm worshiping Jesus. Are you with me? Even folks within that type of environment had come to Christ. So this shows us what Paul meant in chapter 1, verse 13. When he said this, that his imprisonment was being used by God for the spread of the gospel, even to the imperial guard. Maybe the folks who were in Caesar's household were some of those guards that Paul mentioned in chapter 1 that had become a Christian by hearing the gospel. How did they hear the gospel? Because in that very place where Paul was imprisoned, he was chained to soldiers. And I can imagine Paul felt he had a captive audience. So we would say probably something like this. Guess what, guys? We're singing some songs tonight. You're going to hear some sermons. We're going to talk about Jesus. And somewhere in that situation, Imperial Guards, servants, employees, or family members came to saving faith. Isn't that great? You see, our partners have faces, and they live in real places, and some of them live in some pretty dangerous places. That's what a partner does. It's someone with a real, actual, visible face who lives in a real, actual, visible place for the spread of the gospel. So it's faces and places. As I thought about this, we don't know who these people were in Caesar's household. We know there were some Christians there in some fashion in Caesar's government. But it made me think of the folks in the Old Testament who were in the same situation. This is not a new discovery. For instance, Joseph became the second in command in Egypt under Pharaoh, placed there by God. You can read Genesis 37 to 50 and read the story in order to be a link, a saving link for God's people during a famine. His job was to be in Pharaoh's government. And he was used by God in that role for that moment. I think of Daniel, who was taken captive, sent to Babylon with a number of other Jewish people. But he and three others rose to some pretty good prominence. Daniel became pretty significant in Nebuchadnezzar's reign, in Belshazzar's reign, and in Cyrus's reign. This is historical as well as biblical. So so do you see how God uses people in all kinds of places? Let me just say this to you, and I hope this will bring a smile to your face. I don't know your occupation physically, humanly, but I know your mission spiritually. No matter where you work, let it be the place where God uses you to spread the gospel. And it may have to be in um, innovative ways, right? Right. But man, let's make sure that whatever our location, we are an on-mission kind of people. As I was mulling this over, it, it hit me how much a place can change your life. And I don't say that glibly. A place can actually change your life. I recall the very first place I went to that was considered a mission field. I was a sophomore in college, and our church um, that I grew up in was a strong missions-minded church. I'll share more about that in a minute. But I had not really been on a mission trip outside of America, and so as a sophomore in college, uh, I took about, oh seventy 70 junior hires along with some other adults to Mexico. And so I think that's where everyone goes for their first mission trip, isn't it? I think so. And it literally— uh, changed my life specifically. I came back a much more grateful person. I think my parents would admit to you that that was a turning point in my gratefulness. I was in villages where there were uh, there were stacks of Coke, and yet they'd never heard of Jesus. So that really impacted me. Like, how can you have a you know a a whole stack of Coke products, but you don't have a Bible anywhere? Like that That's not right. That shouldn't be. I Our missionary there, his name was Lanny Ashcraft. I became somewhat friends with Lanny. I took some groups back over the next several years. One year, we almost got stoned while we were leaving the town on a bus. And so at this place, it's in Chihuahua, Mexico, um, it has become special to me for one reason. It's the, It was the beginning place I believe, where I met a partner in a place, and I realized that God is up to something across the world. And that was just in Mexico. And as I grew older, became more exposed to missions in harder places, in places that had even less access to the gospel, became very convicted. The trajectory of my life and what I would do as a pastor And what would be the focus of a church where I would shepherd people? And you know the result of that. We have a very intentional focus as a missions-minded body to see the gospel get to the hardest places. Because that's where we need partners. That's where many partners are. You see, they're not just imaginary people in imaginary places. Our partners are real faces in real places, many of them very difficult places. That's what partnership is. It's us on this end, and then other people on that end. We're all involved in making sure the gospel gets to where it's not yet been. Next week, when you get your journal for our Go Week emphasis, you'll also have a section in there that will talk about next year's trips. We do take annual mission trips. And here's why. Because we want you exposed to the places where our partners serve. And here's why I desire that every family make sure their teenager or young college kid, elementary person, I want every single FFC to experience a short-term trip. Because in those trips, when you go to the places where our partners are, something happens. Your eyes are opened. And I'm convinced personally, I can't prove this formally, but informally, I do believe that often a call to missions, a call to serving as a partner who is sent starts when you just go for a short term, short term trip and you see a place where a partner lives and works and the Lord begins to light a fire and change the direction and trajectory of your life and efforts. That's why these matter. So next week, when you get the journal, you get the handouts, look at the trips. And remember, based on last week's message, if you choose to go, you're not spending money on a trip. What are you doing? You're investing money in the trip, whether it's supporting someone else to go or yourself to go, your family. Because faces and places, when it comes to the spread of the gospel, they matter. Notice the third word, would you? Paul says there are faces of saints in all kinds of places. And I should have wrote places here. I wrote faces twice. Forgive me. I just corrected that if you couldn't tell. <laughs> so faces in places, but they're linked together by God's grace. I love the way he closes this out. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And here's what he does, really. I think Paul here links... Um, and bridges the distance that we feel between the faces and places. Now, I think when he wrote this, he was sensing and feeling the distance. I think the readers were like, oh, yes, we remember Paul. There's a church in Rome now, and he's in prison. We're way over here. And and they're thinking of all the gaps, of all the reasons they can't see each other. And Paul says, oh, by the way, here's what links us across the miles Here's what bridges the distance. Here's what closes the physical separation in a spiritual way. It's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ with your spirit. This is a loaded phrase. This is fun to chew on. Can we chew for a bit? Let's just answer this question first. What is grace? It may be like saint, like maybe just assume we all know what it is, but let's just define it. Grace is unmerited favor. Okay? Because this understanding what this says and and means will help us understand what Paul's referencing. Grace is a an undeserved gift. It's grace is never something you earn. It's always something you receive as a gift. It's unmerited, it's unearned, it's undeserved, it's given. And so Paul here is saying that this grace, it flows from, it belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the word of there means. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The unmerited favor, the undeserved gift that belongs to is sourced by, flows from the Lord Jesus Christ. I love how he uses the word Lord first here. I think it's a subtle way to say Caesar's not Lord. Jesus Christ is. And there are believers who work in Caesar's household. There are believers in all kinds of places. They have beautiful faces. And by the way, we all share the grace of the Lord, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the reference to his New Testament and Old Testament identity. He was called Jesus when he was born. He was called Christ in the Old Testament in the prophecies. So who is Lord? It's the Old Testament long-awaited Messiah who is named Jesus? It's Jesus Christ who is Lord, and grace flows from and belongs to Him. Paul is saying that's what He wants to be with their spirit. I think that's an interesting phrase, don't you? He didn't say to be with your body. For some reason, He didn't use any kind of word that refers to the external extremities. He goes to the internal and says, That's where I want the Lord's grace to reside and rest. I think what Paul is doing here is saying, I want the gospel to be deep down embedded in you. Because the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is simply the gift of salvation, which he purchased for us on the cross and offers freely to all who believe. It's not something you can earn. You can't purchase it. You can't buy it. You don't deserve it. You can't win it. It's not a lottery award. It simply comes from repentance and faith. And when anyone turns to the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance and faith and says, Lord, I believe you lived and died and rose again. Will you, by your grace, forgive me and save me and give me the gift of eternal life? Will you move me from death to life, from enemy to saint? God does that freely generously. He makes you a saint. He makes you his child. He gives you his grace to cover all of your sin. And that is an internal operation. Salvation never starts on the outside and then works its way in. We never become better so that God will save us. God saves us and makes us different. And that difference begins then to affect the outside over time. All the old passes and all things become new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 This is what Paul, I think, is referencing. He wants God's grace to flood their internal souls. So they're changed from glory to glory. This is beautiful. You know why? Because this really is what connects and binds us. Our faces don't bind us together. We're all different. Our places don't bind us together. They can all be different. But God's grace unifies us. It binds us together into one spiritual family. In fact, church, hear this. The most important family you're a part of just hear this, It's not your earthly family. I didn't say it didn't matter. Please, be good parents. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, you know, uh, and mothers, love your kids well. Build strong biblical homes. But I want to tell you, as one who has a, a deep commitment to and passion for the family, your family and my family will end one day. But here's the family that will never end. God's. At best, your legacy, your family, it'll go for generations. But when this earth is made new and the kingdom of God is consummated, your earthly legacy will cease. But you'll still be related to all of your spiritual brothers and sisters and you will share and revel in and glory in the grace of God for eternity with all those who belong to God's family. So here's what I'm telling you. Yeah. Be good parents, be good children, honor your father and mother, even as they age. I mean, just listen, let's have good families, but let's don't worship that family. Let's don't make an idol out of that family. The family that matters is God's family, because it's eternal. And the real question you should ask yourself is, am I part of that family? Am I a saint? Do I belong to God? Have I known His grace? Has His grace forgiven my sin? Have I trusted Christ? That's the question. In fact, that's really what's behind our name. First Family Church. There's two or three reasons we named it that. We've mentioned this before in a video series we did for our small groups. I won't go into all that, but I'll just tell you the main reason is because there is a ultimate family that you need to be part of. It's God's. In fact, can I say it to you in this cheesy way? That's the first family you need to make sure that you're in. And if you've never trusted Christ, if you feel like you're kind of on the outside, if you're wondering, like, where do I fit the place where your face belongs, it's in God's family. And it can, through simple faith and repentance and accepting the free gift of eternal life God offers. It's His grace. And Paul is saying, I hope this just settles in on you internally, and you realize that even across the miles, man, you are linked and connected to your partners through God's grace. Well, let's put this in a sentence, can we? Let's take the word faces, the word places, and the concept of God's grace. Let's put it into a sentence. Here's what I would say to you as a take-home truth today. Very simple. You're already there. I think your minds have already thought about it. But here's what a partner is. And it could be on both ends of the rope. It may be the sending partner. It could be the sent partner. But here's how Paul lovingly and beautifully sketches for us a partner. They're individuals, their teams, or their churches who are linked by God's grace, even when there are miles between our faces and places. Next week, you're going to get a list of our partners here, at least the ones who will be joining us for those eight days. Many of you are on sending teams that communicate with other partners we have on a regular basis. Some of their folks in these chairs this morning are praying about. Does God want us to be a sent partner from this church? Others here have upped their game when it comes to being a sending partner. I think there are children in our student ministry wing right now. God is raising up to be sent ones. I think there are folks in this building, in this room, there are folks watching at our campuses. God's raising up. He's forming. He's changing the direction of their life to make them a sent one. There are other folks in this room, campuses in that room. God's going to change your occupation. He's going to change your direction so you'll be a a better sending partner. There are folks in this room and our campuses right now who are realizing, wow, I'm in an odd position, but now I realize my location is not, and my occupation is the main thing. It's my mission in that occupation. So much is happening right now by God's Spirit in regards to partnership in the gospel and the part you play in that. A partner is an individual, a team, or a church linked by God's grace even when there are miles between our faces and places. Will you say that with me? We'll just show it one more time. Let's say this out loud together. Can we do that? Together, church, partners, individuals, teams, and churches linked by God's grace even when there are miles between our faces and places. Aren't you thankful for the grace of God that connects you, that bridges the distance and gives you a purpose and a cause for what we are doing together, making disciples of all nations? As I mull over this text, the phrases in it, the different words, the Lord sovereignly crossed my paths with my parents this week. Um, you know, I, it's no it's no secret, I have a lot of admiration for my parents. I, um, I'm so thankful God put me in that home, and they'll tell you in a heartbeat they're not perfect. And I'll tell you they're not perfect either. I'm not either. I mean, we had a normal home. We had a home that really emphasized some things that I think really have changed my life. I remember as a kid growing up in a church where um, missions was just paramount. We'd have missionaries in our home. Um, Our church, especially, every year would host a missionary conference. Uh, I was in a very large church as a kid, and so we'd have hundreds of missionaries in. And their philosophy was a little different than ours. Neither one's right or wrong. They're not better or worse, just different. Um, We'd support hundreds of missionaries at pretty low amounts financially. Uh, We take the approach of supporting fewer missionaries at higher investments so we can know them very well relationally. Neither one's right or wrong. There's no biblical mandate, just different. But in that church where missions was so paramount, I was exposed to hundreds of partners. I'll use the words from our text. I was exposed annually for decades to hundreds of faces from all kinds of places. And I'm going to be honest with you in this confession in the midst of that, it was laborious. Parents, you should be grinning right now. I remember thinking, man, how many more services from missionaries have I got to sit through? And typically, in all frankness, missionaries aren't your greatest speakers. And so sometimes it was like, man, you know, it just seemed boring. And But year are after year of being exposed to faces from all kinds of places, and yet knowing we were linked by God's grace and this mission to get the gospel to to every place. uh, It does eventually win the day. I thank God for a church and a home that consistently and continuously emphasized God's mission. In all kinds of places, through all kinds of faces, and the necessity of churches generously being sending bodies and those within the churches being willing to be sent, I can say without a doubt, it changed my life. It didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen in a year. But year after year, in a home and a church where God's mission was paramount, my life was changed. God's grace flooded me, overwhelmed me, changed me. And I do look at those years as very formative. So much so that I think that's one of the reasons that I like Go Week the best. Better than Advent. Probably better than Easter. I don't know if that's even right. <laughs> I love whether it's the eight days of go week or whether it's sometimes we spend a month. I never grow tired of focusing on the mission of God through the work of all kinds of faces in all kinds of places. And I pray every day God will continue to weigh on your heart the necessity of being a partner for His work around the globe, seeing people come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, here for sure, and around our area, and then in places that are really hard to get to. We want to be a church living in the joy of gospel partnership. Amen? Will you join me in that and ask the Lord, to just flood us with His grace, connect us by His grace, sustain us through His grace so that we can continue to send partners and maybe be a sent partner in all kinds of places for the good of those people and the glory of God.